Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John, chapter 2. We've been in 1 John for some time now, several weeks, and kind of walking our way uh, through this book, verse by verse. And uh, tonight, uh, we're going to look at the last two verses of chapter 2. So 1 John, chapter 2. If you've arrived there, we've let you remain seated long enough. So I'm going to ask you to stand and stay standing for the remainder of the service. I'm kidding. 1 John chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse number 28. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he, speaking of Christ, is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. I want to look back there at verse number 28 and notice those words. Now little children abide in him that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I want to preach to you tonight on the subject of confident at his coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, this incredible book that reveals to us the person of God and, and how we can have a relationship with you. And Lord, you order our steps through your word. And tonight I pray that as we look into your word and into these verses and others that we'll consider tonight, I just ask that you would open our understanding, Father, that we would be able to grasp not just the intellectual concepts that are presented here, but Lord, that we would be able to understand how these things apply in our lives. I pray that by your spirit we would be confronted with this truth, that we would be challenged, that we would be encouraged, and Father, that if need be, we would be convicted, but help us, Lord, just to be honest before you, and I pray that your word would do your work in our hearts and lives tonight. As always, I want to pray that if there are some among us who don't yet know Christ as their Savior, that tonight they would take that first step in being ready for the return of Christ and receive Him as their Savior and be saved tonight. But Lord, for those of us who are saved, would you help us to live in awareness of the imminence of the return of Christ and, and to live a life, Lord, seeking to be ready, to be confident that we're ready for the return of Christ. Blessed in the remainder of this service, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. One of the stated purposes of the book of 1 John, and we've mentioned this several times in 1 John chapter 5, it tells us that these things were written that uh, to those of us who believe on the name of the Son of God, that we may know that we have eternal life. And much of this book really reads as kind of more of a, a litmus test as we are to compare the fruit of our lives against the Word of God and, and determine by that 
if we are, number one, saved, if we know that we are saved, that we've been forgiven, that we're on our way to heaven, but secondly, that we are to compare and see if we are in fellowship. If we're in fellowship with, with God and with his people. And, and it talks about all of these things. We mentioned some of these things. And, and I'm thankful for how the Lord has used this, even just in the last few weeks, how the Lord has used some of the, the truths presented here in my life to, to draw me closer to Him and others who have given testimony of how the Lord has used it. And it's a wonderful thing to know that you're saved. I mean, in, in a sense, we could say that's the greatest thing that you could ever know, isn't it? That when this life is over, that you're going to be with the Lord in heaven, that you don't have to worry or fear or fret about what comes after this life, to know that you are going to heaven. What a wonderful thing that is. However, I believe it's important, and, and one of the common themes that we've talked about throughout our study of the book of 1 John is that God's primary purpose for us is not only that we know we're going to heaven, but also that the life that we are living here currently on this earth would be a life that is pleasing to Him, glorifying to Him, a life that we have fellowship with Him, a life that is bearing the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives. And so this is what God expects of us. He wants us to be growing, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And when we come to this, this passage that we're going to be dealing with tonight, we are confronted with the reminder that this life is temporary and there is coming a day when it will come to an end and we will stand before the Lord. And he draws us to this, this uh, concept and this thought tonight in verse number 28. As he says, now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence. He says, my desire for you is I want you to be ready for the Lord's appearing. I want you to be ready for the day that he comes back. And we heard this morning in Sunday school how that could happen at any moment. At any time, the Lord could come. And we are to live our lives with this perspective, within anticipation of the return of Christ. And we are to live with this reality constantly before us that the Lord could return at any moment. This is, according to Titus chapter 2, this is our blessed hope. This is the hope of the Christian, knowing that it could be, before the day closes today, I could be in the very presence of my Lord and Savior. And this ought to be a great comfort, and it ought to be a great hope for all of us to know that no matter what goes on in the world, and no matter how chaotic life gets, and no matter how difficult sometimes the trials are that we face, there is a better day coming. A day when we will stand in, in the presence of the one who died for us. We are to live with that blessed hope ever before us. In fact, the Bible tells us, hold your place here if you would, and go to 2 Timothy and chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul, in his parting instructions to Timothy, his son in the faith, gives him these words in 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 1. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. 
He goes on to give him instruction and tell him to preach the word and, and how he ought to carry out his life and ministry. But he, he gives him these instructions on the basis of this. Timothy, the reason that I am charging you in the way that I am, the reason that I am admonishing you and urging you to live a life of faithfulness and obedience to the Lord is because there is coming a day when the Lord will return and you will stand in judgment. And so I'm, I'm charging you on the, the, the basis, on the grounds of the awareness that you will one day stand before God. We are to live our lives in, in this constant awareness, the things that we do, the way that we spend our, our days and our hours and our moments ought to always have somewhere in our minds this concept of, of the reality that one day my Lord is coming back and I will stand before Him and I'm, am I ready to meet Him? Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, you must be saved in order to be ready to meet Him. If you've not been born again, friend, you, you need to stand in fear of the return of Christ. The judgment of Christ. However, for those of us who are saved and are aware that Christ is coming back, we ought to be living every day with this, this awareness and, and expecting Him and saying, Lord, how can I spend my days? How can I spend my hours? How can I spend my moments so that when I stand before you, I don't have to be ashamed, but I can be confident. That I can be confident to say I'm ready. I'm ready to meet the Lord. Many Christians I've talked to have admitted to me that they are not ready. There have been times in my life where if I was honest, I would have had to say, I'm not ready for the Lord to return. I, I, I feel, and even today, I still feel this way, that there has been so much of my life that I have wasted. So many times that I could have been serving the Lord that I've blown it, and I've, just, I, I've lived for self rather than living for Him, and, and I really want to, to be able to give the, the remaining moments of my life, however long that may be, I want to give them to the Lord. And I, I would love to say, you know, I, I, I gave the, the remainder of my life to God, but, but there have been times that I wasn't ready for that. And I've even talked to Christians before who, I mean, they, they say, I know I'm saved. I know that I'll go to heaven when Christ returns or when I die, but... I'm a little bit fearful about that. When you start preaching on the rapture, I mean, they, get, they get nervous. They get fearful. And what's the reason? Because they're not ready. <laughs> they're not confident. They're afraid that they will be ashamed at his return. Certainly, we ought to desire... I would imagine that everyone here desires to be ready for that day. When the Lord returns, we would say, I, I, I want to be ready. I want to know. I want to have confidence. I don't want to be fearful to stand before the judge. I want to I, I be able to come to him. And, and like those servants, the first two servants mentioned in Matthew 25, I want to be able to come and take the talents that he's given to me and present them to him and say, Lord, I've done the, the best that I can do in my life to bring honor and glory to you. But so often I think 
If we were honest with ourselves and with the Lord, we'd have to admit that we may be more like that third and unprofitable servant who wasted the opportunity to serve the Lord. I know that at times I've been guilty, not only of wasting in large portions of my life, and those of you who know my testimony know that there was a period of time in my life when I was a teenager that I was saved, and I even knew that God had called me to preach, but I was living for myself, and I was living for the things of the world, and folks, I just want to say to you, and young people, please listen to me, I wish that I could go back and undo those years. I wish I could go back and change things. And I'd like to say that if I could go back, I would live differently than I did. But I can't go back and I can't undo those things. So the only thing I can do is give my life to Him today and say, Okay, Lord, I want to I give it all to You. But even though I have wasted so, in times these chunks, these large portions of my life, even after giving my, myself back to the Lord and, 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 and repenting of that way that I have lived and coming back to the Lord, I would have to admit to you that there have been many times that I have maybe not wasted years, but I have wasted days. And I've wasted hours and moments spending my time and expending my energy in things that are perishing. The things of this world, like we talked about previously in this chapter, the things of the world that are going to pass away, and not only the world that passes away, but even the lust thereof. The things that seem so important to me at the time, I know that when I stand before Him won't seem so important. And so the admonition here is live with this perspective. Be ready for the return of Christ. Abide in Him that... When he appears, when the Lord comes, at any moment, you can be confident and not ashamed. That's the perspective. But notice also he, says, he, he speaks of our pursuit, that which we are to do. Okay, I, I understand that I want to be ready, I want to be living in preparation for that day, but how can I? How is it possible for me to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord? And he gives us the answer at the beginning of verse number 28. He says, and now little children, abide in him. Abide in him. Now the word abide literally means to dwell, it means to reside, it means to, to remain in a place of permanence. And he's, he's telling us here that we are to be abiding in Christ. I want you to hold your place here and go back to the gospel according to John. John chapter 15. A very familiar passage of scripture, no doubt, to many. But sadly, I, I, I believe, and, and I'm not criticizing anyone else, I'll admit even of myself, that there, there was a long time in my Christian life I don't think I fully understood what all this is talking about here in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, beginning in verse number 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. That's an important verse in this monologue, 
Why is it so important? Well, I mean, it seems like it's just kind of interjected there. But I think it's important for us to understand that he's not talking here to lost people who, are, who need to be saved. He's talking to saved people. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So this isn't a salvation issue. But it is a fruit-bearing issue. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Look at verse number 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him. Remember, little children abide in him. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Verse number 8 tells us, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. This is what God wants us to do. This is how we glorify God, bearing fruit. And at the end of verse number 5, he says these powerful and important words. For without me, ye can do nothing. There is nothing of eternal value that you can do apart from abiding in Christ. Now, he uses the illustration. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. We don't have a whole lot of vineyards, I don't think, in this area. I, I, I've never worked in a vineyard, but I'm familiar with the concept. And we could use the, the, the same concept and apply it to, to trees. When you grow a tree, let's say a fruit-bearing tree, you've got the trunk of that tree. That's the, that's the main part of the tree. In fact, that is the tree. The branches grow off of the tree, but you can cut the branches off. You still have a tree there. Jesus said, I am the vine. I, I'm like that, that tree trunk. Ye are the branches. And he's talking about bearing fruit. Now, if you were to go, and this is not the right season for it, but let's just say that as the, the, the spring and summer go on here, that, that we would uh, go out to an orchard that was growing, let's just say, apple trees. And you went out there and, and you, you saw a, a tree that had some branches on it. You thought, I'm just going to cut off one of those branches and I'm going to bring it home. And come, you know, October, I'm going to get some really nice apples off of this branch. How successful would you be? You wouldn't. Why not? Because a branch doesn't grow fruit, does it? I mean, it does, but only so long as it's attached to the tree. Because the, the, the nutrients that are needed, the water that's needed, all of that is supplied by the trunk of that tree... And the branch itself cannot bear fruit. And you and I are branches. And we cannot bear fruit, spiritual fruit. We cannot do those things which are pleasing to the Lord in ourselves. It's impossible. We must be connected to the Lord. We must be allowing Him to work in us and to flow through us. Abide in Him. There is nothing that you can do to please the Lord in your own strength. We learn that in regard to our salvation very early on, don't we? 
we know that our own good works could never measure up to the need. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and those who are in the flesh trying to make an attempt to be pleasing to the Lord, we, we can never do that because the very best that we can offer is tainted by our sin. We understand that. We grasp that concept. Everyone who's saved has had to place their faith in Christ alone because they themselves cannot save themselves. We, we can't do that. But for some reason, when we get saved, so often we think that we can just go about and in our own flesh and in our own strength do the things that are going to be pleasing to God. And we go about trying to serve the Lord. We go about trying to uh, uh, do things that we believe would be pleasing in His sight, but we do them in our own strength and we find that it is fruitless and vain. Romans chapter 8 speaks of the Spirit in fact, why don't you go with me to Romans 8? I know we're, we're doing a fair amount of turning tonight, but I want to show you this from the Word of God. Romans chapter 8, verse number 3. If you would look with me at this. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. But look at verse number 8. So then... They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, Romans 8 kind of flips back and forth between having the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. The very next verse says, Ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. If you are saved, you have the Spirit of God, but now you are to walk in the Spirit. Galatians says, If we live in the Spirit, let us therefore walk in in the Spirit. We are to walk in the Spirit of God, walking, abiding in Christ, remaining in Him, allowing Him to flow through us. Abide in Him. As we go back to 1 John chapter 2, we look at verse number 29. And it says to us, If ye know that He is righteous, if you know that Christ is righteous, in essence, what he's really saying is this, if you know that Christ is the righteous one, the only righteous one, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Now, think with me on this for a moment. Everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Have you ever known a lost person who was a good person? And that might come across like a trick question. You say, well, there's none good. There's none righteous, no, not one. We understand that. But, but let's be honest. There are a lot of people out there that don't know the Lord, but they're good people. You know, I mean, they're, they're nice. They're, they're kind. They're, they're moral even. 
many of them are very religious, many of them are very generous and very giving and self-sacrificing, and they're, they're good people. And we would say, well, how is it then, if I know that that person is lost, they don't know the Lord, how is it possible that this says, everyone who doeth righteousness is born of God? Well, the answer to that question is, the good things, by man's standards, do not equate to righteousness. Righteousness is exclusive to God. Only God is righteous. So the only way that you and I can do righteousness and live righteously is by Him living in us and through us. In our own flesh, we may do good things by man's standards, but true righteousness can only come from God. So in order to be righteous, number one, you must be born of God. You must have the Spirit of God, but also you must be abiding in Him and allowing Him to live through you. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what he was really saying? I think we can put it this way without doing damage to the scripture. It's really not me that's living, it's Christ living through me. Now that can only happen as I am yielded to him and to his will. On a moment-by-moment basis, I can find myself in the flesh and operating in the flesh. In my own wisdom, in my own strength, in my own abilities. And folks, there is no righteousness in that. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Abide in him. He is our power. And then I want to show you this. Back in 1 John chapter 2, look at verse number 28. Notice this with me. This is just an observation. And now little children, abide in him that when... He shall appear. We may have confidence and not be ashamed. What are those next two words? Before him at his coming. Now there is a sense in which, obviously, we're going to be before him because we're, he is our judge. We'll be standing in front of him face to face. And in that position, in that place, we don't want to be ashamed. But the connotation here is not simply we don't want to be ashamed when we stand in judgment. The connotation is this. We don't want to be ashamed in the presence of the Lord. In other words, the the pursuit of all of this is not so that at the judgment seat of Christ, all the people that we've tried to impress in our lives can stand there and see the great things we've done. That's not the idea. That's not the concept. Do you realize... I mean, the things that are whispered in the ears are going to be shouted from the housetops. Everything, every deed in your life is going to be revealed. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? How many of you have ever been, I won't even ask you. I wonder how many of us have been guilty of thinking, man. I hope at the judgment seat it's just me and the Lord because I don't want so-and-so to know about this or that. You ever felt that way? Do you know what's really going to matter when you're standing in the presence of the Lord? 
I'll tell you this, your opinion won't matter to me, and my opinion won't matter to you. There's one person that we're going to be concerned about, and it's the one who will know everything about us. And what he's saying is, we need to live this way in preparation for that day, because we don't want to be ashamed before him. In other words, we are, we are living our lives really for an audience of one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not to live concerned so much about what other people think about us. Because it really doesn't matter what others think of us. It only matters what God knows of us. That's all that's going to matter on Judgment Day. Here John is saying, my little children, those who I care about, those who I'm concerned for, I want you to live abiding in Him, letting Him live through you. Walk in the Spirit. Don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Abide in Christ. That true righteousness may emanate from you because it's coming from Him. That when you stand in judgment before Him, you can have confidence. You can hold your head up high and not be ashamed. Are you going to be confident at the coming of the Lord? Are you ready to meet Him? Folks, I understand there's not one of us who's perfect. And we all will have things that we regret. Things that we wish that we had done more, served more. Things that we wish that we hadn't done. But I'm just saying to you tonight, if we are really truly wanting to be ready for that day that the Lord returns, we need to be abiding in Him day by day, moment by moment, allowing Him to have His way in our lives. Are you ready to meet him tonight? Have you been saved? Do you have confidence that if the Lord were to return tonight, that if that trumpet sounded while we're still here in church, that you would be going with the Lord? Do you have that assurance? Folks, it can happen at any time. And if not the return of Christ, for every one of us, death is imminent. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I, I, I'm ready. I know I'm saved. Okay, great. Are you going to be confident? Are you going to be ashamed or are you going to be confident at His appearing?